Okay, Donald. That's enough fun for tonight. Can I have my desk back? Yes, of course, Mr. President. I'll go sit at my desk. Yeah. <laughs> So much fun. I love it. Yes, this is fun. And live from New York, it's Saturday Night! Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing Season 42, Episode 13 of Saturday Night Live with host Kristen Stewart and musical guest Alessia Cara. I'm John Murray and joining me this week is Steve Finn. Steve is the host of Transparency on CHMR 93.5 FM in St. John's, Newfoundland. You can connect with Steve on Facebook at Transparency CHMR. And you can connect with us at snlafterparty.fm. All right. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Kristen Stewart. Next week... Alec Baldwin is returning to the show, not simply to do the cold open as Trump, but he'll be hosting for a record-setting 17th time. Is that correct? I believe you're right. 17 sounds like the right number. Yeah, and he'll be taking the crown from Steve Martin. For the time being, you never know. Yeah, but I I don't know really what Steve Martin's got cooking that's going to make him get back on SNL's radar as a host and not just someone to show up randomly in <laughs> in monologues here or there when they need some spice. Yeah. Uh so uh, yeah, I have a feeling that Alec Baldwin at this point is probably going to be pulling out ahead for the foreseeable future. I don't know who's really going to be nipping at his heels anytime soon. You could be right. Yeah. I I, I don't know what their angle is on the show, so it's going to be fun to see uh see what they got in store. I hope it's not too Trump heavy. Like the amount of Bernie that was in the Larry David episode was, you know, a good level. So right, right. here's hoping that it's around the same for this one. You know, that might be what it is. They've never done a like full fledged Trump pre-tape kind of like on par with what they did with burn your enthusiasm. So it'd be kind of cool since they'll have him there for the whole week rather than him just kind of showing up to, you know, block the, the cold open, maybe the day beforehand or whatever, since they actually have the opportunity to, to throw him into some, some other production scenarios. Maybe we will get something a little more inventive because the pre-tape format opens you up to all sorts of uh, different styles and genres that you really can't create in the, in a live setting or your traditional political cold open. So who knows? Uh, could be fun. Could be. Yeah. Still no Katie Rich in the credits this week. <laughs> I guess that's just a done deal at this point. Well, we we don't know. Like an indefinite suspension could mean that she's just going to quietly fade off from SNL, but it has only been a couple weeks. So I don't know. There's no, there's no way for us to know at this point what's going on, but uh, just a real shame how that all played out. It is. Yeah. I feel bad. Yeah. Uh, so we don't really have a whole lot of other news to run through. Yeah, why don't we just jump right into the show here? Let's do it. Okay, so cold open. Alec Baldwin's back. Trump has had a long day and he feels like he could freak out on somebody. Fortunately, Steve Bannon is there to uh, encourage him to start reaching out to some other heads of state and a very topical and relevant cold open ensues. What did you think? I thought it was pretty good. They're really leaning into the the childishness of this uh, Trump interpretation. Yeah. They've riffed on that a lot where he's just kind of being manipulated and he doesn't even realize it. 
So it's 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 been a lot of really good comedy that's come from this uh, from this angle. So I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the Trump path that they're taking. I also like that uh, they're staying consistent with the uh, Steve Bannon as the Grim Reaper. Sure. Uh, idea that they've had. Yeah. I think it's a an all right idea to do for a while. Maybe they should change it up a little later, but it it, it, it was nice to see as a recurring gag. I could see them actually just sticking with it as long as Steve Bannon's part of the conversation. Uh, it just seems like they've sort of doubled down on it. The first time it was just a sight gag and there wasn't even a whole lot of context to it. It was just really a goof on the idea that there was a huge uproar. Everyone was just basically saying this guy is the devil incarnate. So they literally made him the devil incarnate, (laughs) but now they've kind of taken that and they're, they're goofing on it a bit further and they're making him more of the puppet master. Kind of like you said, Trump is marginalized. Trump is simple. This is the version of Trump that we saw when John Goodman stepped into the cold open. You know, the one where he just he isn't playing at the same level as all the power brokers and and movers and shakers that are really kind of running the administration. I don't know how true that is to the reality of what's going on at the White House, but it certainly is fun and gives you a lot more options uh, with regard to just finding uh, jokes that play. You know, this is what they leaned on heavily for Bush the second, right? The Will Ferrell era. It was the same kind of idea. In fact, they even did the desk gag. But it was it was more it came from love. That's the one difference. Like you can really see, you know, the claws coming out. Yeah. And they're really giving it to Trump and not making this a very flattering impression of him. Yeah. It seems like whatever take they have on Trump, they're always trying to uh, say something and kind of lash out a little bit. You could see it in Keenan's part, you know, when he calls Zimbabwe. And Keenan, as the head of state of Zimbabwe, goes up one side and down the other. Just <laughs> it feels like that's the kind of thing that some of the writers would love to have the opportunity to actually say to Trump. So they're using the show as a vehicle to just tear him a new one in the the <laughs> format and venue that they have at their disposal. Yeah, yeah. I guess that my takeaway on it was I thought it worked. I thought there was enough jokes to sustain it. I thought it was a lot of fun. I'm not entirely sure how I feel about Mikey Day as the Grim Reaper slash Steve Bannon. But we'll weigh in on that as they go down the road and we see if there's anywhere else they can take that. Yeah. But I'm glad you mentioned that it was, in fact, Mikey Day, because when they messed up the uh, the cue for his uh, digitized voice, you could hear Mikey Day's voice oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in its yeah. raw form for a second. That's what confirmed for me that it actually was him. And uh, I think this was actually his first solo live from New York. Well, actually not entirely because last time he came out as Grim Reaper slash Steve Bannon, he got the live from New York line. But didn't he do it with Alec at that time? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, you're probably right on that. Yeah. I think they kind of like mashed heads together in frame. (laughs) Yeah. So this is his first one on his own. Yeah. Okay. Kind of sucks that his face is obscured, but whatever. I'm sure he'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, there's been no shortage of Mikey day on the show. So I, I don't, I don't, even though it's always a fun moment when you get your first shout live from New York moment, I, I think he's probably riding pretty high right now with how he's performed this season. Yeah. They should just pretty much come to terms with it and pull an Amy Poehler mm-hmm. and promote him halfway through his first season. <laughs> like they did with her. He's doing the role of a repertory player. And I'm sure I'm certainly sure come season 43, uh, he'll get his due. Let's take a look at Kristen Stewart has been tweeted by Trump 11 times. Her monologue is, in my opinion, a bit of a fidgety, fumbly, awkward kind of a mess, but she at least owned it. 
even though maybe she doesn't have the the best stage presence when she's just being herself and she doesn't know what to do with her hands and she's a little stilted. She, she certainly did as much as she could (laughs) with the material and was able to sell a few jokes. And then inevitably they pull in 80 and Kate to do the too cool for school bit at the end there, just to, (laughs) just to let Kristen off the hook. Now, we had talked in past weeks, um, Casey Affleck is a good example and Felicity Jones is a good example of when they feel it necessary to come in and flank the host during the monologue and buoy them when maybe they don't feel that they can carry it. Is that what was on display here? Or do you think that this was just the best goof they could come up with and there was no real other agenda at play? I'm not convinced that that was the agenda going on. You are right. There was a nervous disposition mm-hmm. taking place. You know, she was twirling her rings. Yeah. And uh, at one point she actually literally covered her face. Yeah. A couple times. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, she very much appeared nervous, uh, but keep in mind, there was a point in the monologue where she actually mentioned, I'm, I'm quite nervous right now. Mm-hmm. So it could have been part of the quote unquote character she was doing it within her monologue. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she's a decent actress, so maybe she's that good that it could be that convincing, but you know, you could be right that, she was like a Felicity Jones type where she needed help because she was a bit out of her element, but I really don't think so because, you know, when she started getting into the tweets and reading those out, mm-hmm. the delivery was actually really impressive. Yep. I think she really tuned into what was funny about those tweets and made it work as well as possible. Yeah. She did definitely catch her stride when she was digging into Trump a little bit there and she was having a little bit of fun with that. And you're right. Those jokes did play really well. Uh, It just seemed like ramping up, coming out and trying to get control of the audience and be a presence on stage. That's when you were getting a lot of the shuffling and the fidgetiness and the, you know, the, the arms up in, in her face and all the rest of it. So we didn't let ourselves buy into the idea that Felicity Jones was playing a character when her monologue was intentionally pointing out the fact that she wasn't good at monologues. I don't think we can turn around and and now do it here and, and let Kristen Stewart off the hook. I think obviously this was as far as she was going to get with the monologue and they knew that. And that's probably why they, <laughs> why Kate and 80 showed up when they did. I don't know. Just from a objective point, I think Kristen Stewart did better with the stuff that she had to do on her own. Oh yeah, no, no. I'm not arguing with you there. She was able to make the jokes land. My only contention really is that there's other spots in the show where she's playing herself, so to speak. She's not playing uh, like the Totino. She's not playing Sabine in the Totino sketch. There's other points in the show where she's playing her same kind of persona. Right. And in all of those situations, she tripped over words and she had her hands going wherever they wanted to go. And she had that fumbliness in other performances. So I don't think that that's an effect that she was putting on the monologue. I think that that's just her being her and for better or worse, it worked when she was doing the tweet stuff. It didn't work so well when she was just coming out, trying to command the stage. I think you're right. Yeah. Now that you mentioned it, it was a consistent thing through the show. And here's the thing. If she was super on and in character, I don't think she would have casually dropped an F-bomb. That's definitely Kristen Stewart talking the way she's inclined to talk. That's why that slipped out. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, she recovered as well as anyone could. You're not supposed to do that in the first place, but uh, <laughs> she at least ad-libbed a little joke about it saying, this is probably my last time here. And who knows, maybe it is. It was a fantastic recovery, right? Like, it's not like she just played through it. 
you know, she stopped, she kind of like twirled around and tried to catch her bearings. Like you could tell that she'd really recognize that she put her foot in it and she was able to charm the audience. Fortunately, she had Aidy and Kate there being willing to embrace it and laugh at it and give her an opportunity to make the most of the fumble. So I was actually very impressed that they were able to go out on as high a note as they did, considering that those kind of moments can just kind of like, you can hear a pin drop in the studio, right? Like you, you could either suck the air out of the room or everyone can get a laugh out of it. And this time they got the laugh. Right. And that's exactly what would have happened if she didn't, you know, acknowledge it and keep going. That would have been 10 times more awkward. Yeah. This wasn't an Ashley Simpson moment. <laughs> no. Yeah. This wasn't like do a jig and walk off stage. <laughs> There's one other thing. And I don't know, maybe it's not worth mentioning, but you, you remember that twilight joke mm-hmm. eight years ago. I'm promoting eight yeah. years. I feel like the audience didn't really understand that that was a joke because they seem to applaud sincerely to that mentioning of it being on iTunes for eight years or something. I think it was supposed to get more of a, just a general laugh and it became like a woo applause. You, did you notice that? Well, you know what it is. Oftentimes when hosts come out and they, they mention overtly that they're there promoting something that is a cue for applause. Like the audience just kind of knows their role in that situation. Yeah. So she was goofing on it, but it, the brains of the people who have to clap hasn't quite caught up to the, uh, to the goof yet. So they just start clapping kind of <laughs> habitually because that's what you always do when someone says they're promoting a, a current project. You can't get everything to always register the way you want with the audience. And this is just one of those situations. Yeah. All right. Let's jump into our first pre-tape of the night. We get the U.S. Customs and Border Protection instructional video which now that we're in the Trump era has required a few subtle edits <laughs> to keep pace with Trump policy. Yeah. You could hardly notice them. <laughs> hardly tell. Yes. What'd you think? Really good. Yeah. You know, they always nail the visual, um, getting that videotape look mm-hmm. and, uh, the intersplice with Beck's character. You can see it go from analog to digital back and forth. Cause it's meant to be something a bit older, right? Right. Maybe something shot in the nineties. So, of course, it's also um, kind of edited in haste, and you, you can feel that in the cuts and, mm-hmm. and the voiceovers. So they really nailed all that and made it seem really jumbled, which it should have been. Right. So, yeah, it was a win for me. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was smart. It's a great idea through these jarring edits and the really like awkward block letter overlays that they put on every time they needed to stop and insert you know, except for these countries and except for that guy, like every time they had to go in and rejigger <laughs> the video because they, they hacked it and made it so obtuse. It, it was fun. Cause you can kind of get the feeling that that's sort of like what a lot of people feel Trump's administration's doing. He's just coming in and they're just hacking down <laughs> uh, everything that's been kind of built up before them. So I thought it was fun. I thought it was a lot of fun. There, there is a cliche there. There is a trope these instructional educational type videos that they were able to tune into. Yeah. There was a lot working for it. Interestingly enough, this sketch was conceived and produced before Trump's travel ban was challenged in the courts. Yeah. You can tell. Yeah. So the last little bit of it where Beck is in his office and he's on the phone and he's getting word that, Oh, it's been overturned. Oh, all of this work I've been doing, hacking this video apart and reassembling it for the new policy. That's all a moot point. Now they actually inserted that really late in the week just to try and keep the the piece relevant enough to put it on air. Cause otherwise it, it'd be too dated. 
the the joke's gone. <laughs> you know, the political climate's already changed. So fortunately, they were able to salvage it just by flipping it a little bit there at the end. It kind of helped the sketch because there is this narrative going through it with Beck's character because you could tell like he's on a really tight deadline. Mm-hmm. Like the way that he's Xing out phases be like, oh, oh, not that one. Yeah. Like he's like, he's in such a rush that he can't even like clean this up to a decent level. Right, right. And yeah, so that kind of added to it. Yeah. It's a total hack job and he's just trying to keep pace with the mandate that's coming down from on high. And just as soon as he finally whips this thing into shape, yeah, they overturn it. So it was able to be all the more fresh because they could figure out how to extend and elevate the goof there just as the news is coming out. Yeah, really, really great that the show can do that in such a time crunch the way that they do. Yeah, for sure. Okay, moving on. We got our first live sketch, which is called Dry Fridays, and this is set at the University of Connecticut. There is an overdrinking support group that gets a colorful new participant. (laughs) This is uh, Kristen Stewart's first time to kind of show what her sketch comedy chops are. Do you feel like the sketch held together? Do you think it worked? Where were the strengths? Where were the weaknesses? I think the strengths, um, one of the strengths being a really good observation on that university campus personality Mm -hmm. uh, of the ones that have been there a while. I'm talking about Mikey Day and Cecily Strong's characters. Yeah. yeah. They remind me of the the students that led my frosh week when I was a uh, a first year university student. Just that... uh, how do you even how do you even describe this? Like it's very disingenuous, first of all. There has to be an unwavering positivity and enthusiasm that can't help but come off as super duper uncool. They just have to play that role of super straight and narrow. Yeah. And still try and be relatable. <laughs> and how do you do that? Especially, you know, when you're talking about an over-drinking support group. Yeah. How do you keep it fun and positive? <laughs> but that was where a lot of the humor came from because you know, they were trying to keep up that persona mm-hmm. in the face of all the ridiculous stuff that Kristen Stewart's character was spewing at them. <laughs> and it was funny to watch them kind of like just break down and, and get so traumatized that they couldn't even keep it up anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that was great. Yeah. She would lob something devastating at them and they have to immediately spin it and try and segue it back into the message of positivity and support that they're trying to keep rolling forward. Yeah. But, you know, besides Cecily and and Mikey Day, there, there wasn't much material for, for any other cast member to stand out. Sure. Uh, They were there just to serve a purpose and there wasn't a lot of panache going on other than, Kristen Stewart. So yeah, that was one thing. It fell a little flat with the filler that went around the meat of the sketch. Right. Though it becomes obvious that Pete Davidson has uh, a bit of a fascination with her, (laughs) her, uh, her piercing situation, (laughs) you know, like you, 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 there was a little bit there. They didn't go too far with it. A.D. Bryan obviously is confounded. Like, what is your life? You know, there was there was little bits there, but you're right. They they didn't attempt to make the sketch go further with the secondary characters. Yeah, that was written by Streeter Seidel and Mikey Day. Very good. Yeah. Moving on, <laughs> we get a second pre-tape: the erotic conclusion to SNL's Totino's trilogy wherein Vanessa Bayer's unnamed wife character finally finds her Totino. Her Totino. Yeah. (laughs) Kristen Stewart is Sabine. 
and a torrid love affair ensues between her and Vanessa Bayer while her husband is oblivious in the other room with his, his boys watching the game. Yep. Appropriate for this weekend. This time they go the avant-garde, you know, French Jean-Luc Godard. (laughs) (laughs) That direction. And it was unexpected as, as it should be. That's what makes this sketch work. Uh, Yeah, this was great. This was fantastic. Brilliant. Really brilliant. That moment happens. The turn happens and I was all in, you know, the strings swell in the background. (laughs) The tone of the picture changes to, you know, the soft, romantic, warm tones. And they build on that idea just so perfectly, you know, where it's first, it's a glance and then it's, you know, caressing of the finger and then, you know, you know, then it's an embrace and it just, every time they cut back, it's more intense. (laughs) And then at one moment, right in the middle, they cut back to the guy's perspective where there's no strings and no, there's nothing magical about the scene. It's just them watching the football game and the girls are in the background embracing it was just just so fantastically edited, such a perfectly realized uh, way to push that idea forward. I I really have high praise for this. I think this was brilliant. Yeah, and especially brilliant was the way they got self-reflexive about it. Kristen Stewart asks Vanessa, what's your name? She says, I never had one, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which, is, which is true. It absolutely is. And they never needed to name these characters, but to, to make that self-reference was absolutely mm-hmm. Oh, that was a hit. I, I died at that line. And that joke is even a little bit smarter because the whole nature of the Totino's commercial is that it's the guy's time, right? It's like boys afternoon. And if you're trying to sell to these guys, you've made the wife character as subservient and simple minded as possible. <laughs> yeah. She lives purely to satiate the hunger of her hungry little guys or whatever. So because that has been the character up to this point, it's so perfect that in her world, in this reality, she literally doesn't get a name. <laughs> yeah. Great. And then, you know, Sabine asks, well, what do you hunger for? What do you want or whatever? It was a perfect way to flip the whole concept. Just, oh, just great. Just great. Just great. Uh, <laughs> But I suppose we could dissect it all day, but we've got a lot more fun stuff in this episode. Up next, we get another live sketch, Sean Spicer press conference. Unexpectedly, Melissa McCarthy shows up as Spicer and she holds a very aggressively adversarial press conference. What, <laughs> what do you make of this? How, how did this play for you? Oh, I'm as speechless as you are, John. This tops all sketches <laughs> of, of this season. This is, this was so amazing. Mm-hmm. Melissa McCarthy, you know, seeing her done up as Spicer, you know, it's kind of hard to imagine anyone else playing this now. Yeah. This, this character talk about perfect casting, like holy jumpings. Whoever thought of this is an absolute genius. Mm-hmm. It was a really good match to how Spicer actually looks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely one of the best sketches of the season. Super well rehearsed. Either that or Melissa's just so much of a pro that she can belt this out without much prep. But this was really tight. Yeah. And this is, you know, within a, a show where people dropped F bombs, we're <laughs> trying to end weekend update too early. There was a lot of crazy stuff going on. The show was a hot mess. It, it just was a adorable hot mess. Yeah. Th- this was a a surprisingly competent sketch dropped right in the middle when you needed it. Yeah. And it just nailed what Spicer's all about, <laughs> deflecting and talking about things that aren't actually important. Yep. 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 Fantastic. The makeup, you're right. Top notch. She was so 
sort of like deeply obscured under the makeup that the audience didn't realize it was her. Everyone's just a little bewildered trying to piece together who that is under the makeup. And then once she starts talking and they tap into the cadence of her voice and, and realize that it's her, it erupts. Everyone's loving it. And she just owned it from there on out. She just, she took that podium and she was all fury and energy and she was a hundred percent committed to it. There was no, no moment where there was a smirk. There was no moment where there was anything that makes you feel like Melissa was anything other than this character. And that's, that's amazing to see in sketch comedy, especially when it's this kind of like wild, you know, she's throwing the podium around. She's got a squirt gun at one point. Like it just, the sketch was so had such juvenile moments that you would expect some breaking. You would expect her to not be able to quite keep up that commitment and, and stay as focused in the material as she did, but she did, she did it flawlessly. It was so great. Flawless. Absolutely. Yep. And how good was that moose lambs pun? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like she's, she's chastising the audience, basically saying that the whole press corps is too stupid to follow the basic line of reasoning. So she gets out all these, you know, visual tools to drive the point home. Yeah. And she pulls out a, a turd. He will not be deterred. It's just, <laughs> oh, there, yeah, there was some genius writing on display and I think Melissa may have been the only person that I can think of that really could have embraced this and made it as great as it was. Yeah. It was, what do you call it? A perfect storm. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I've been hounding some of the writers all morning, trying to get someone to fess up to who it was that realized that Melissa McCarthy had to get involved in this. I don't have a definitive answer on it, but I do know that this is the baby of Colin Jost, Rob Klein and Kent Sublet. So they deserve serious credit for, the writing and the conception of it. And uh, if we ever figure out who had that moment of brilliance to bring Melissa in, we'll let you know. Cause that's uh that's something that I, I definitely want to know. Cause that's perfect casting. Perfect. Okay. Now Alessia Cara is our musical guest tonight and she performs two songs, scars to your beautiful and river of tears. This is one of those times where I see the name. I'm like, oh, I don't know that artist. I'm looking forward to seeing what she's got. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that I've been hearing her on the radio. Yeah. It just didn't catch the name of the artist. So, you know, I am familiar with it. Thought the music was all right. I always semi enjoyed it on the radio. Watching her perform was a whole other ballpark because it made me realize, you know, she can go out there with a strong, unprocessed voice. No backing track, just her belting out and sounding great. Mm -hmm. And it was really refreshing to see her not dressed as a stripper <laughs> gyrating on stage. She was very taste like she was wearing pants. Yeah. She was wearing pants. When do you ever see a girl that beautiful, you know, strung through the whole music industry right. sausage press and coming out <laughs> still wearing pants? Yep. There was nothing on display except her chops, period. Pretty much. Yeah. She had some style to her and she had stage presence, but it wasn't right. It wasn't degrading to women. And that was very refreshing to see. Yep. Not that Lady Gaga doesn't have talent, but when she comes out, there's a lot more being presented than just her musical abilities. So it is kind of nice when you pull back and you just make it about the music. And I, I really thought it was good. Yeah. I love that little applause she gave to her band. Yeah. She kind of like did a little. Clip, clip, clip. <laughs> Did rotate. It was very adorable. Yep. And it was nice to see her appreciate, you know, her backup. Right. We're in this together. Yeah. With the piano guy during the second song too. She, he got a nod right away. Yeah. Seems like a classy lady. <laughs> classy. Hope she goes places. Now we had a 
exceptionally strong first half of the show. So the real question becomes after a couple weeks of really solid firing top notch weekend update, are they going to be able to keep this train rolling? (laughs) Give me your 30 second synopsis of weekend update. Weekend update was a hot mess. (laughs) It was a burning car (laughs) on a otherwise smoothly riding train. It had its moments, of course. There, mm-hmm. there was some good jokes, but uh, I don't know, man. Were they uh, hungover? Were they, were they partying a little too late into Friday night? Because uh, they were off their game. Yeah, let's say that. Yeah, and they and they did their best, and some of the recovery bits they did were actually kind of impressive. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is not how you want it to go on live TV. Yeah, last week I gave Che the MVP because I think we could both agree that he was he was on fire. I think that's what we said. If if he was on fire last week, this week he crashed and burned. It was <laughs> uh yeah, it just was not gelling. The jokes were shaky, the delivery was more than shaky, and then just some huge production fumbles to round it all out. It was a hot mess. It was as close to a dumpster fire as we've seen <laughs> from weekend update so far this year. Yeah, and Michael J had a streak. You got to come down from that at some point. Yeah. But w- when you screw something up the first time, <laughs> trying to recover from that doing it a second time almost seems impossible. And you, so he 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 had a joke that he kind of messed up completely. I've never seen a joke go that wrong before in a long time. Mhm. So he pretty much backed up and tried to do the joke again and screwed it up a second time. <laughs> it was kind of cringy, but also hilarious in a way. Shut up, Colin. Shut up, Colin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now the nice thing is because the first half of the show was so fun, you get to weekend update and you're not looking to weekend update to buoy the show and pull it back up. You don't need it to build momentum going into the back half because you're already super jazzed. So I'm watching this thing just go off the rails and just blow up in front of me and I'm still loving it. You know, Che is literally on air saying, I think I'm about to be fired (laughs) and you're along for the joke. Like you're willing to just take it for what it is and have fun with them just dying in the moment because they're trying to have fun with it. And you're willing to just cut them that slack because the show has just already got you so pumped. So they definitely caught a break in that the rest of the show was working so well that they had a chance to, to misfire and it wasn't really going to bring anyone down. So yeah, bizarre, bizarre to see. They've been doing so good for the last little while that I was not expecting so much fumbling. Yeah. But in a, in a very professional sense, despite all that, they can at least make their failure funny, Yeah, you know, yep. it was, they were really quick with their ad libs in response to how bad they were doing. <laughs> it almost kind of redeemed them. Yeah. That's the benefit of having two people at the desk is that when one person is crashing, the other person in their head can be cycling through jokes or things to pick up the pieces. And Colin did that a couple times. At one point he said, you know, <laughs> I want to quote our host from the monologue. Like he's, he, he wants to drop an F-bomb with, with how things are shaping up, <laughs> but they're trying to keep it as, as fun and lighthearted as possible as, as, uh, as they're misfiring. And so for that, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Keenan shows up as David Ortiz. Big Poppy is back. You usually like Big Poppy. Do you feel like this kept the bar high? Do you feel it's running out of steam? What's your takeaway? Yeah, I had a prediction <laughs> last time we saw him that if we saw 
Ortiz again, we would see the real Ortiz pop up as a cameo. So now we can say that I was wrong because <laughs> he did not show up. I was going to let you off the hook. I was going to glide right over that. Oh, you're going to glide right now. <laughs> I'm a responsible man. I will own up. I felt like it would have started to run out of steam after that last time. And that would have been something to pump some more life into it. Sure. Or to send off the character. Maybe it would have made a good farewell. It still was enjoyable. I have a soft spot for this character. It is one of my favorite weekend update panels of recent times. So I will be more forgiving than, than I will for others. Yeah. But yeah, maybe it wasn't the best outing for it and it would be a challenge to go in a, in a new direction with it or make something that's worth putting on the air again. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it wasn't a total failure. Yep. It wasn't a failure. It was in the same range as everyone that's come before, but I think we can officially say that it's peaked. I think we've seen the best of it the last couple outings and now they're, they're having to dig really deep to find more fun things for him to, to run through. I don't need to see him anymore. He had a really good run. I really enjoyed the the character, but they haven't found anything new or exciting for the character to do beyond what we've seen. So I'd like them to, they've got three featured players. Two of them are fantastic impressionists. There has to be something new we can bring to the desk. Oh, totally. Let's not uh, harp too much on weekend update. Let's talk about celebrity family feud, Super Bowl edition, Falcons fans versus Patriot fans. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So did it work? What were the high points? Just what was worthwhile about this sprawling impression fest? Worthwhile? Not as much as I would like. Okay. To be honest, there was some good moments. I've seen a lot better out of Kate when she's doing Justin Bieber. Mm -hmm. I agree. It was kind of sloppy. She's really been a lot more dialed into that character before. So that was kind of a, a fumble. Leslie Jones, that I didn't think that was a good idea, putting her on as Samuel L. Jackson. Like, basically the joke there was, hey, look at Leslie Jones trying to do an impression. Yeah, and like her laughing at herself and, you know, Keaton saying, something doesn't seem right here. Like, it really felt like they were just going for, look at Leslie Jones trying to do an impression when she mm -hmm. doesn't do them, which I didn't feel worked. Okay. The, the one redeeming thing was, of course, the Casey Affleck impression. Right. I had a very similar feeling about Kate's Justin Bieber. I really liked Leslie as Samuel L. Jackson for all of the exact same reasons why you hated it. <laughs> because it's so obvious that she's out of her element when she does impressions. You go into it just wanting to see what is going to transpire. You're not looking for a... a a dead on Samuel L you're just, you're enjoying the goof of them dressing her up as Samuel L and her probably getting a kick out of being able to say some of his expletive laden <laughs> catchphrases. So <laughs> just as a totally just mindless, fun little goof, I liked it. I will say that she tried her second run at it. What she said, she had a certain cadence that was reminiscent of Samuel L. So I genuinely believe she was probably standing at a mirror practicing this and like trying to bring as much as she could to it. And I felt there was a hint of it there. I respected the try on her part. I respected how much fun they were having with it in the moment. And I respected that it probably was never meant to be a great impression so much as they needed to fill a spot. And Leslie probably was just game to just jump in and <laughs> do what she could. 
So I didn't hate that, but what I really loved, really, really, really loved was Alex Moffat. I thought that was stunningly good character work. If he hadn't hosted <laughs> Casey Affleck, yeah. I, I would probably wouldn't have realized how good of an impression that was. Yeah. And maybe that's why he was so good because he got to spend time with him yeah. while they were working on his episode. But geez, was that ever spot on to what Casey Affleck, the person is like mm-hmm. down, you know, the, the look, uh, this voice, the, just his general vibe. Yep. Man, Alex, Moff, I hope he sticks around cause he's, he's carving out a, uh, a place for himself on the show. And I really hope he gets a chance to carry that out further. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Early in the season, he had a lot of screen time for a featured player at least. And it seemed like he was really making a good spot for himself at the show. And then the last few episodes, it seems like he's been a little more in the background. We haven't seen too much of him. So this was nice that whereas Mikey got a lot of good press early in the season and Melissa Villasenor got some last week, I feel like this is probably a good standout moment for him and it, it probably couldn't have come too soon. And I was really happy to see it. I think it shows probably some of the deeper talent that the show recognized that got him <laughs> into the cast. but that we haven't had much of a chance to see yet on screen. So I'm hoping for a lot more from him. Me too. All right. Melissa Villasenor as Lady Gaga. I guess she got the, the singing voice down <laughs> to an extent. I can't tell you what her speaking voice sounds like. I don't know if Melissa was even trying to do that part of it, but I think she was. Yeah. yeah. Well, it wasn't her, it wasn't her sexy Kermit voice. That's for sure. <laughs> they should have given her a little bit more to do with that. I think it does feel a little bit like it was a wasted opportunity that there was a lot of effort put into making her look like Gaga. And they gave her a a moment to show that she can kind of sing and bring a little bit to the character. And then there was nothing else. Yeah. So uh, not much to say, about it. I just assumed that you were probably going to enjoy the Gaga outfit and the wig and the makeup and everything. So I just assumed with how Randy you came off on our last podcast that you were going to be all over this, but no, you got, (laughs) well, I'm dialing it back as a result of that last podcast. (laughs) You don't, don't hold back. I mean, you are a red blooded Canadian man. You, (laughs) when, when you see something that you like, you, you have every right to be passionate about it. (laughs) It's my prerogative. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't know what else there is to say about this sketch. A few good jokes, but all pretty much throw away topical stuff that we're not going to care about once the Super Bowl's over. Yeah. After Celebrity Family Feud, we get another pre-tape. Pete Davidson meets his soulmate, Claire, but then does the rookie mistake of failing to get the digits. And now he has no way to find her. This was a, a quick little romp. Did you enjoy it? Was there enough here that made it feel satisfying? Yeah, and I've had this conversation with people before. <laughs> it's one of those things they do because a realistic depiction in film and television would be just too boring to do. To have a scene where two people meet and like to drag it out for like, oh, let me get your number <laughs> and writing it down. Like that's taking up precious time that could be used for uh, forwarding the narrative. So to put that trope under the limelight and saying, hey. Uh, yeah, they didn't really get enough sufficient details for this to actually work out where they can connect at a later date. I think they explored it in a in a fun way. Okay. And I liked how Kristen Stewart's character didn't even really catch on that, you know, no information was exchanged. Like she shows up at a some random restaurant and expecting him to show up. Like what How is it that she thinks that they established a place to meet and a time to meet 
when that interchange didn't happen. That's kind of the almost surreal aspect of it. Yeah. In their minds, there's, there's more that's been said, or she's just, she's just going with it. Like she's just so caught up in the excitement of having a new love interest that she's just going through these motions as though all this stuff's in place. And it doesn't even occur to her that none of it is. I don't know. Like there's, there's something there that is a fun idea. And I couldn't quite exactly tack down what, what the rules were for this world. <laughs> so. Well, the rules were for every character, except for Pete Davidson are the rules of any movie or television where you see these things. Yes. But Pete Davidson's character was that much detached compared to everyone else that he was kind of like lost. Yeah. Like no one would help him. Oh, I get it. Yeah. He's the only one who's bound by the real rules of reality where there isn't a quick and efficient way to save your butt right? You can't just go to the barista and expect him to help you. You know, you can't go to the phone book and expect to find her. You can't go on Google and expect to look her up. Like he's limited by all of the real obstacles that would face someone in this situation, but everyone else is just kind of in this whimsical movie world where these things aren't even issues. They don't have to be on screen. They don't have to be stated. There doesn't have to be any acknowledgement that you have to go through all of these little minute planning things to make anything happen in a movie world. Yeah. It's all glossed over because you don't want the exposition. I, I guess I kind of get that. But as I was watching it, I just, I wasn't quite figuring out that that was what they were saying, but I still, I th- thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. There's a few more hints to that. Like when he was asking Mikey days, like, haven't you ever fallen in love and needed the help <laughs> of a friend to, to get what you need? And he's like, no, no, <laughs> right. There's not going to be any movie magic that is going to save Pete Davidson. That's kind of the goof. Yeah. That's his, yeah. his block. Yeah. Okay. He's crossed a beer. Well, I'm glad we kind of dissected that because even just going into the, the podcast, I didn't really have a clear beat on what it was trying to say other than just the fun of having Pete run around town trying to find her. Like there was a lot of fun little visual things. Like when they show the phone book and he's crossed out like every number, not her, not her, not her. Oh yeah. There was a lot of little jokes there, but just conceptually, I was just kind of struggling to get my footing on, on the whole world of it. I don't know who wrote it, but I get the feeling that this might be a Julio Torres outing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Just because it again has that weird little bent. There's just a, a slightly different take there. It's not realistic. There's something a little bit surreal about it that uh, I wonder. I'd like to give a special mention to Bobby <laughs> for his character as the hairdresser. Right. This is what I love about Bobby Moynihan. And, and in this season, especially, there's a lot of good examples of this. But he's really committed to even the smallest roles. Mm-hmm. You can tell that he worked with the costume designer and hair and makeup people to make a, an interesting character out of this this uh, hairdresser that only gets about five seconds of screen time. Mm-hmm. And I, I got to hand it to Bobby for putting that much effort into something that's just so minute compared to every other element in that pre-tape. Yep. He plays perfect support and he always tries to make everything he puts on screen as special as possible. We've seen a lot of it. I've given him my MVP nod before because of that, not because he even had any starring role, just because there was just something a little bit deeper or just a little bit better realized when he takes on a character like that. Even if it is just a, a flash in the pan, momentary background character, he just always has something to offer. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I don't think we'll ever be able to say enough about where Bobby's talents lie. Oh yes. We could go on 10 to one sketch golden ticket. Everybody's seen Willy Wonka, but it may have gone over our heads that Charlie's bedridden grandpa 
has no issue <laughs> getting up and going to the chocolate factory for, you know, a whimsical adventure. So in this version of Willy Wonka, Charlie has a very appropriate reaction when he finds out that his bedridden grandpa Joe can actually walk. Fun observation. Do you think it carried a sketch? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty similar as the previous sketch, you know, meet cute. It was, it was just, you know, putting something we're familiar with under a lens and kind of holding it under scrutiny mm-hmm. and, and seeing how it holds up. And it's the same thing here, but yeah, it's, it's something uh, like it's forgivable because roll doll stories are very whimsical and <laughs> yeah. they're meant to be fairy tale yeah. kind of uh, aura around them. Right. But yeah, like if you're just an adult about it and, and think <laughs> if he could get up from that news, he must have been, you know, somewhat capable of doing it this whole time. Mm. And for them to live in poverty when this guy's <laughs> just lying in bed, hogging resources and not contributing, <laughs> it's kind of hard not to resent him when he finally gets up and says, hey, I could have walked this whole time. Sure. While his juvenile grandson is out being abused by the evils of the world. (laughs) It was a fun little deconstruction of that concept. I don't know if there's that much more to say. I have a feeling that Vanessa came in early on the closing line there at the end. Did you pick up on that? At the end of the sketch, they all basically say, yeah, we can all walk or whatever. And then they get up to leave. And Vanessa says, well, I really do have polio or something like that. And then Kate starts laughing at her and they have like a little look at each other. And then one of the other players is like, okay, well let's go to the the movies or whatever they're going to go do. And then the camera focuses in on Vanessa again. And she says the same line again. So I think she hit the closing line, like while they, you know, just early. And, uh, I, I have a feeling that that probably threw everybody off a little bit there at the end of the sketch. Oh, so you think she was only supposed to say it once yeah. at the end and that other time she said it was a mistake. I think so, because otherwise, first off, it doesn't really make any sense that they would say it twice. You know, there's, there's no real reason why she would throw that out in the middle of them all getting up to leave and then say it again, like 10 seconds later. But the, the real thing that I think indicates it is as soon as that happens, look at Kate in the bed across from her. Kate is laughing at her. So I think that in the moment, you know, she hit that line and threw everybody off. So you're saying it's one of those uh, big poppy excusing himself off camera sure. moments? Yeah. <laughs> I go now. I assume this is probably one of those things that just live television, it's going to happen. Cue cards get written wrong or whatever. There's just, <laughs> this show had a lot of, of really fumbly moments. There was a lot of sketches that could have fallen apart quite easily. And I'm really amazed looking at it as a whole with how satisfied I was with it. I think that's probably just a credit to the writing, but we'll actually, we'll get into that when we do our overall reviews and ratings here at the end. So that's our recap. Let's uh, talk about the moment of the night. What took it for you? Moment of the night. Yeah, I got one in mind. Um, Comes from the, uh, the press briefing sketch with Melissa McCarthy. Sure. The moment where she actually picks up the podium (laughs) in response to Vanessa saying, are you okay? And and that's, that that was a really great moment and it was a great escalation from everything we've seen mm-hmm. from her going from squirting people with squirt guns and <laughs> and kind of flexing at people and then all of a sudden getting this like hulk level strength <laughs> to pick up a podium and like it was a great you know it was a great over-the-top moment that just sure. topped everything else yep, of yep. such a awesome sketch yep yeah that was definitely the moment of the night okay yeah exactly it's like what's the only 
more aggressive thing that she can do at this point to accost these poor <laughs> journalists. <laughs> she could literally ram one of them with her podium. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I'm glad that you're giving high praise to that sketch because it definitely deserves it. But because you did, I'm going to take the opportunity to pivot and focus in on my other really fun moment of the night. As far as I was concerned, right in the middle of the Tatino sketch, when their love affair is crescendoing and they're embracing each other. And then it cuts back to the guy's perspective and they're still in the background doing it, you know, unbeknownst to the guys, but the music just drops out and you're just seeing what this really looks like in reality rather than, <laughs> rather than the, you know, emotionally ramped up uh, version of it that you've been seeing from their perspective when they just cut out of it for a minute to give you that little flash of perspective and then cut back into it. And the strings come back up. That to me was a lot of fun. And that whole sketch to me, I thought was really brilliant. So, uh, but within it, I feel like that was like the absolute best single moment within it. Yeah. That is always a funny moment when you take what's happening and remove all the, the cinema, (laughs) yes, all the style from it. It reminds me of that, uh, lonely Island digital short, the, the great day. I don't know why, but I have a feeling it's going to be a great day where he's like blasted on Coke. Yeah. And it like, at some point, like you see it from someone else's perspective. (laughs) It's just like this crazy guy. Like, (laughs) yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It is fun when they just pull you out of the moment and show you what this would look like to a a casual observer. Yeah. Makes for a fun moment. It it does. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So best overall sketch. The daily press briefing sketch that, uh, man, this might be one of the best sketches of the season. So of course I'm going to give this uh, sketch of the night. Yeah. I really want to give it to Totino's because I had so much fun with it, but I cannot deny the overwhelming presence of Melissa McCarthy. And I can't deny how just perfect and focused and energetic her execution to that sketch was. And the writing too was really sharp. The amount of jokes, the back and forth, just everything about it, you know, even them revealing the, the squirt gun off screen, like the guy's getting pummeled with water before you realize what's happening in a live sketch. It's, it's really hard to figure out how to use the camera to elevate a joke. A lot of times you just kind of got to pull back and hope that the players have the timing and delivery to keep the energy in the sketch. But that was a fun example of where they hit that just perfect. And it made the sketch even better because even the production around the sketch was on top of their game. Yeah. It was too perfect to deny, even though I really, really would like to give it to Todino's because you've already given it to it. I couldn't, I I couldn't live with myself (laughs) if I didn't acknowledge that. No, that is definitely, definitely the sketch of the night. Oh, no doubt. When it's that obvious. Yeah. It would just be too dishonest to yourself and to the listeners. (laughs) Yeah. 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 On pretty much any other show, Totino's would have been in the running, but in this one, it was just eclipsed. (laughs) Totally. Okay. So MVP. Do you know who I'm going to give it to? I don't know. I really don't know. Oh, you don't know. You don't even have a feeling. Well, I mean, you could give it to Melissa McCarthy because she was a really strong performer, but she was only in one sketch. So it depends on how you want to, how you want to designate what qualifies as an MVP. Yeah. But she was so much of that sketch. Like she was that whole sketch, right? She was a force. She was just this whirlwind, this fury yeah. that just takes over the, the, the stage. She, yeah. She owned it. She really did. She owned it. So I am giving it yeah. to her that she is my MVP for the night. I can respect that. That's, that's a solid call. I have lots of people that I have really warm feelings about 
Alex Moffat, his Casey Affleck, that was really fantastic. But the problem is it's in the midst of a show with Melissa McCarthy just being what she is. So again, it wouldn't be intellectually honest to not give it to Melissa McCarthy. So I'm going to do that too. Now on a scale of classic, great, typical, weak, or train wreck, how would you rate this episode? This word's weird. <laughs> yeah. You know what I want to give it? I want to give it a a classic train wreck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it's both ends of the extreme. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll just give it a great. Yep. That Melissa McCarthy sketch puts it on the map as like a historic moment of comedy. Sure. And there were train wreck moments where it was just like, wow, I've n- I haven't seen screw ups like this in a long time. You know, things that just halted the momentum of everything. <laughs> like you never see that. And it's actually amazing that it doesn't happen more often. Mm-hmm. And that I think that's a testament to how great these guys are at what they do. And uh, just a few things slipped through the cracks this, this time and made like some really awkward mm-hmm. moments, uh, whether it was dropping an F-bomb or ending weekend <laughs> update too early or can't getting through a joke after two attempts. <laughs> Yeah, but I still had such a great time with this episode. So great is where I'm going to land. I can respect that. I love when I really can't put my finger on why I love an episode. And that's how I felt about this. Because from a technical standpoint, it was, as you, I believe, coined a delicious mess, (laughs) right? Like it had all of these moments that should have squarely put it into almost train wreck territory, but I was lapping it up. I loved every minute, even weekend update. It was satisfying for some reason because I was having so much fun to watch them squirm. And, uh, it's really hard to just put that into, you know, some technical analysis, but I just, I really, really enjoyed it. Kristen Stewart. I expected her to be a really kind of like boring or underutilized or just marginalized host. Like I just didn't think that she was going to be a force in any of the sketches. And in the pre-tape, she was really, really strong when she was playing herself. She was really fumbly. Like when it was kind of up to her to choose her delivery, it was all over the map. Sometimes it landed. Sometimes it felt really awkward, but when she found a character like the, uh, in the family feud sketch, when she found that Brazilian character, that was really, really sharp, really, really sharp. Yeah. So I was surprised with how impressed I was by Kristen Stewart, despite, you know, the other you know, wildly inconsistent (laughs) things that she was bringing. I still thought that it was a lot of fun to watch her. And I just, I don't, I don't know what else to say. Just, it it really, really fired for me, despite the fact that I can point to a lot of things that should have dragged this show down. It just didn't for me. So Mm -hmm. uh, that's just a really long winded way of saying that. I think it's great. I thought it was great. (laughs) Yeah. So we're in agreement. Yeah. Psychologists will be studying this episode for (laughs) years to come. Yeah. Sometimes there's just no intellectual way to parse it. You just have to take it for how it felt. And I just walked away from this thinking that was a lot of fun and I really enjoyed it and I'm charmed. I'm glad I'm excited to be going into the Alec Baldwin episode. And unless there's anything else to say, I think that's a cast. Thanks to my guest, Steve Finn. You can connect with Steve on Facebook at transparency CHMR. If you'd like to support our podcast, please consider using and bookmarking our Amazon and other affiliate links found at snlafterparty.fm. It costs you absolutely nothing to use our affiliate links when shopping online, but it really helps us in covering our costs and is greatly appreciated. 
We'll be back in one week when SNL returns with record-setting host Alec Baldwin and musical guest Ed Sheeran. This has been episode number 14 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow. Thank you, Alessia Cara, Alec Baldwin, Melissa McCarthy. You were rad. This was wild. <laughs> Thank you, guys. This was such a huge honor, and you're all amazing. Thank you. Yeah, all right, you guys, you guys still aren't, aren't getting it. Uh, well, you need, you need some props? My word's too big, I gotta show you in pictures? Great, okay, here we go. When it comes to these decisions, the Constitution gives our president lots of power, and Steve Bannon is the key advisor. Okay? And our president will not be deterred. Against radical Muslims. <laughs>